Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you should have already read or books you wish you had read. We probably need to work on what that's going to be. Uh, I'm your host, Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm here with Matt Bianco. Hello. And Andrea Lipinski. Hi. Well, welcome back for the second part of Akibiade's one, part two, I guess is what we're doing. We left off last week with Akibiade's recognizing what he doesn't know and, and turning to Socrates uh, for some help is metanoia, as Matt said, and now what? Now what do I need to to learn from you, Socrates? Uh, Matt, do you want to give just a little bit of uh, where we go from there toward the end? Yeah, just a little summary. Yeah. So, Alcibiades acknowledges that he doesn't know what he needs to know to lead the city and asks Socrates to help him. And Socrates, uh, he and Socrates begin talking about what it, what self cultivation is and what, what exactly needs to be cultivated. And in the, in the, in the initial part of the conversation, Alcibiades isn't, doesn't even know what exactly needs to be cultivated in the self. Um, and so you get this idea of, uh, persuasion maybe or the ability to, you know, give people, um, help people make the right decisions or, uh, like giving them advice. And then Socrates takes him through his normal pattern of, you mean the way a horse trainer gives horses advice or the way a ship captain gives the sailors advice? Uh, and then there were, as they're working through that, they come to this point where they start talking about, well, what is, what is being helped when the shoemaker makes shoes? What is he helping? And then when the person puts on shoes, what is he helping? And, and then they start making a distinction between the body and the things that the body uses. And then that leads them to a distinction between the, the person and the, and the body being used by the person to do things. And then what is, what is the person that is using the body? What, what part of the person is using the body as it were? And that's when they come to the, to the point about the soul and what the soul is. And then they start kind of going down a path where they realize that it's the soul that needs to be cultivated. That when the self cultivation is what you do to the soul, then they, they go back to maybe to talking, how do we do that? And then they kind of conclude with, well, this is what we need to do. Whatever that is, this is what we need to do is we need to self-cultivate. We need to cultivate the soul. And then it kind of ends with, with Alcibiades being very encouraging that he does in fact want this. But then Socrates kind of ending it with, well, I believe you. I believe that you do, but I don't trust this city. I think this city is too powerful and it will, well, it'll prevent that or it'll, it'll abuse us in some way. And includes himself in that, which, of course, knowing what happens to Socrates in history, he's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrea, you you mentioned toward the end of last week that what you had noticed and what you were wanted to continue looking for or looking at was um, these these this male friendship. What does what does guy friendship look like when when we love they love each other well? Uh, I'm curious. Did you see see more that? in the second half that helps you explore that a little bit more Talk about going to the mat with each other. Yeah. So at the end, he tells him 
Hold on. I think it's the last page. I'm looking for it. Where does he tell him, like, I won't leave you? I have it marked, but I'm not finding it. Yeah. The last page. Yeah, it's right. It's right toward the very end. Um, What is that? 135 or between D and E. From this day forward, I will never fail to attend on you. And you will always have me as your as your attendant. Right before oh, it could be obvious as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the one you meant, or do you mean Socrates wouldn't leave him? Sorry, maybe I got the wrong one, Andrea. Yeah, I feel like it comes earlier, and then it is definitely here. I'll see if I find it later. But it, you know, Socrates says about that. Then my love for you, my excellent friend, will be just like a stork. After hatching a winged love in you, it will be cared for by it in return. Mm. And that's when Alcibiades returns it. Yes, that's right. I'll start to cultivate justice in myself right now. Right? So, like, I feel like the stork has to cover, those wings have to cover the younger man so that he can cultivate justice within himself. And then it will, in some manner, return to Socrates. And so, that was that image that I I thought that there was somewhere in there where he said, well, I'll never leave you. I feel like he said that somewhere in the last three pages, six pages. There's a part where he says, where Socrates says in 131D, 131D, Socrates says, someone who loves your soul will not leave you as long as you're making progress. That's it. That's right. Well, I'm the one who won't leave you. I'm the one who will stay with you now that your body has lost its bloom and everyone else has gone away. I'm glad you are, Socrates, and I hope you never leave me. Then you must try to be as attractive as possible. I'll certainly try that i was like i didn't so i have a friend who we believe god gave us each other years ago um we didn't intend right we we didn't we had each prayed to have an older woman to mentor us neither one of us were given that older woman and we both lost our moms young Mm. so we wanted an older woman but god gave us each other and um I've not seen, and, and so like we we see our friendship is quite unique. I've not seen something similar in men. Hmm. And so to see this to where he says, I, I won't leave you, but, but make yourself attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I like that part, right? Um, there's a, there's an agreement to it. Uh, and it's- I think that's what I've seen within my friendship is like, we're, there's an agreement that we we individually won't stay where we are and we won't let one another stay where they are. Like we challenge one another. It's interesting because he talks the, the he talks about that everybody else left it because you, the bloom is off of your beauty and strength. But those he those he's already caused Al Alcibiades to, to to view his possessions, not who he actually is. And mm-hmm. so the next thing he says is, "Well, your, your possessions." It says, "Uh." While your possessions are passing their prime, you are just beginning to bloom. And so yeah. it's this this recognition that the the fullness of you is beginning to bloom. And I think um I I think that is important for whether it's a peer or an, for men, I mean I, I, mm-hmm. uh, older men like you know what peak strength is somewhere in your late twenties, maybe. I don't know. But way way before and, and you start coming into much maturity um, which typically for like i think a lot of people happens later um he seemed to say that 50 was too late which is a little scary so but, but we have longer lifespans than they did back then so maybe i'll be maybe i'll be okay and it's just too late to start not 50, oh, 50 too, not too late to keep going okay good 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 too late to start good 
because I met Matt when I was about 37, 38, 39, somewhere in there. So that's, you know, I've started cultivating better. I've had better friendships helping me cultivate certain things in my late, my late thirties, early forties. So, um, but that was, I think it was really interesting to me. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, some of your, what might've been attractive to people who are shallow it, it is starting to fade, but what's attractive to me. So when he says stay attractive, he's talking about really that, that development of you as a person. Um, and as, and as we talk and as we see in this section, he, what he really means is that soul, his soul developing and growing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciated that. Um, again, it's a, it's as a female for me to peer into that male friendship piece and to see that it can sound like that. Um, you know, like he's so Socrates in this, what I noticed is he shared two fears or he shared his fears with Alcibiades. His greatest fear is that a love of the common people might corrupt Alcibiades. And then his second fear is um, about how powerful the city is, that it might harm both of them. And so those are similar. Yeah. yeah. But I found that vulnerable for him to share that. Yeah. It's interesting. He 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 draws a pretty sh- sharp line, I guess, that it's only the soul and it's not the body. Uh, even to the point where he starts to list off pe- certain other kinds of people who almost seems to exclude from the ability to to pursue this knowledge of self uh, for a little while. Farmers being kind of the the farther you get away from the thinking professions, the the harder it is. But then he comes back around and says they couldn't, they can't know any of those things without knowing themselves. So, Matt, even thoughts about like that distinction he's drawing with the soul and the body and where, where that might be difficult for some of us as we think through that. Um, if, if we're not trying to draw such a, uh, I don't know if you'd call that a, um, not, uh, not ascetic, but, um, stoic or I don't know. It's Gnostic. Yeah. Gnostic. Gnostic well, line. Right. It, I, it's, that's a, um, that's a tricky, I mean, that's a difficult conversation in our day because, you know, most of us are either materialists who don't believe in any sort of spiritual reality at all, or not most of us, maybe perhaps listening to this podcast, but the world around us is mostly materialists. So then there is no soul at all. And then what is it that, that is using the body? Well, you know, it's some sort of combination of chemical and electrical reactions that are responding to external stimuli. The, but then, but then for the rest of us, you know, the, the most, most of the rest of us are, there's some sort of spiritual aspect to it. And then from a Christian perspective, even there, the debate's not settled, right? Like C.S. Lewis says that the, the soul, the soul has a body rather than, well, it's claimed that C.S. Lewis said this. Nobody's ever actually found the, the, uh, <laughs> where he said it, but the idea that the soul, the soul is something that has a body, not the body has a soul, um, which is, you know, one, one way of giving the soul preeminence and kind of Socratic sounding, right? Like mm. the soul uses the body, not the body, the soul. Uh, but then there's, you know, some in Christianity that, you know, theologically, historically have argued that the soul is the combination of the body and the breath of life. So you get something more like, uh, the analogy I heard recently was that it's like, it's like bread and the, the body is the flower and the soul is, or the spirit of life is yeast and 
and the two come together and then they make bread and the bread is the whole person. Um, it's, so the soul is the whole person. It's both of those things combined. Um, and then, and then like bread, you can't really separate it once they're, once they're joined together. Although there is a temporary separation in Christianity from the soul and the body, but that's not a universal view in Christianity either. So it's, um, it's, you know, some, for some, it's, there's a, a soul and a body or the soul is the, the body and the spirit or the breath of life, I guess. But then there's some that's this, there's a soul that's separate from the spirit and then they are both separate from the body. So there's different views, but there's not, I don't think there's a universal view in Christianity, even like all of those different views can appeal to scripture and say right here, see right here. So when we're reading this, then we're, you know, that's all coming into mind. And the fact that the body uses is used by the soul can sound kind of Gnostic to us that the fact as Socrates presents it rather um, is that, that the body is being used by the soul can sound kind of Gnostic to us. But I don't know. I don't know that a strong argument could be made. I mean, I think there are other things that would have to accompany that to make it overtly or explicitly Gnostic. Socrates is not a Gnostic. So it seems, it seems like the, if the question we're talking, if the question being discussed is how to know oneself and he's saying the soul has to look into a soul to what extent to kind of, I guess, approach his his argument as it is, do we just have to set aside that that's Gnostic uh, and that he just accept that he's not and he's just saying there are certain things the body does that have nothing to do with figuring out who you are to knowing yourself and, and, and understanding what he's saying about the soul, even if you disagree with the part about the body and the soul being completely separate. Or is there some, or do we have to look at it in another way? If we're trying to just approach his argument, do we have to kind of hold that hold that set that question back a little bit and just look at what he's arguing as far as souls looking into souls. What do y'all think about that? I would, I would say to withhold the judgment on whether he's a Gnostic, like you don't have to dismiss You don't have to say he's not just to carry forth the argument or, you know, carry forth the conversation, but I just I don't answer it yet because if you answer it, then you're, then you, you, you're establishing a bias for or against, right? Depending on whether you are yourself a Gnostic. Um, you're establishing a bias that's gonna, that's gonna confuse. So don't worry about whether he is or not. Just kind of hold on to that and then see where it, see where if it, what is the, the famous quotation from Aristotle, right? Is that, you know, the educated person is the person who can, who can entertain an idea without something. I can't remember how it goes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anyways, we want to do something like that here, right? Like, like assume his argument for the sake of the conversation. See what see what happens mm-hmm. when it's embraced, and then decide whether it's, but you know, until you can understand it, and then decide whether it's something that should be embraced afterward, right? And that's the way we're supposed to read anything, right? Is to to see what the author's given us, provided who the characters are, before we impose ourselves mm-hmm. on them in any manner. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem with reading in, you know, in, in the, in Athanasius's on the incarnation, there's a preface to it written by Lewis. And Lewis talks about, oh man, I'm losing, I just lost my entire train of thought. Um, the, uh, yeah, I don't even know what I was going to say. Good night. <laughs> Is the being a good reader, the being a good reader in that preface? Is that, on yeah what what did you just say andrea 
roll a tape back. <laughs> <laughs> the general idea, as a reader, when we come to it, we want to see what the author is saying before we impose something on it or make a judgment. We want to withhold that judgment to see what the author is trying to reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And and that's something that Lewis talks about a lot in his in his books on reading and criticism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the exact connection was to the preface mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. on the incarnation now, but yeah, it's the same point. It was going to be the same point, basically. Well, you most- know, the thing that stood out to me in the reading, though, Brandon, was it was something that you already started alluding to before I went off on my tangent about the soul. Um, the he seems to indicate in like in 133 and going into 134 that the that you have to have knowledge of self before you can have knowledge of others mm-hmm. and then you have to have knowledge of others before you can have knowledge of the of the city as a whole of the, of the whole community right. which is which goes back to his original point right you're not ready to stand up in front of the whole city because you don't know yourself and and if you knew yourself, you'd be able to know others, but you know nothing about the Spartans and the Persians. So you don't know others. You don't know yourself. How are you going to possibly know the city and know what the city needs? And, but of course, but by the time he's saying that in 133, Al is already on board with that argument. But it's interesting that the argument, um, extends in that way. And I wonder how that works if you carry that analogically to all the other components, right? Like, if I know my soul, then I can know what my soul uses, which is the body. And then if I know what the soul uses, my body, then I can know what, what my body uses, these tools, whatever these other tools are, right? Words, hammers, leather. Um, and then the same thing, if I if I know myself, then I can know others around me. And if I know others around me, then I can know the city that I'm responsible to for in, right? It's in so that there, section that I... Go ahead. If you were keep, yeah, keep going. So I was just going to try to connect it back to what Brandon said originally, which was this idea that, that, you know, the, the shoemaker doesn't really know himself because all of what he knows is the tools that he's using to make shoes. But then, you know, Brandon said, well, but is that really possible? Even from Socrates own words, is that really possible? Because he can't know his tools unless he knows the thing using the tools and he can't know the thing using the tools unless he knows himself. So do shoemakers actually know themselves and therefore their bodies and therefore the tools that their body uses? It, 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 I almost wonder if, if because the shoemakers ambition is less lofty, it's just to make good shoes. <laughs> he has an easier time looking into his soul to know himself enough to make good shoes as opposed to someone who's trying to run the city. I don't know if, I don't know if that works or not, but if the, if the, if, the, if his soul is just, um, I don't know, he's not so great sold or trying to be so great. So if he's just content to be, which we talked about in, uh, in the previous episode to this kind of knowing your place in society. When we, when we talked about ambition, like where you are in society is where you are and that's fine. If the shoemaker is the son of a shoemaker and he knows himself enough to be the son of a shoemaker, then he can do, he can go, he can follow that same pattern. And because his, his goals aren't so lofty, um, mm. he, he does achieve it. Right. But because Alcibiades goals are so lofty, he's not, he hasn't done the work to get there yet. So and, the degree to which one needs to know his soul depends on the degree to which his soul is going to interact with others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and then it, right. And if then, you're just going to interact with the shoe buyer, right? 
well, right. maybe the soul doesn't need to be that. You don't need to know yourself quite as well. Yeah. I mean, when he goes through that and, and gets to where you've, you've gotten, Matt, he concludes that that's, that such man couldn't become a statesman. Right? So he can't rule over other people without right. knowing himself to know his own body, to know that the people don't belong to each person. Right. And then he comes as he can continues forward from that. He says, it, it's impossible for anyone to prosper unless he is self-controlled and good. So that's where he takes it. Self-control. Cause it's interesting. I wrote out to the, the margin when I hit, it's the job of one man and one skill to know all these things, to know himself, his belongings and his belongings, belongings. And I wrote to the side boundaries and justice. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Um, and so to avoid being a failure is not by getting rich, but by being self-controlled, which is 134B. Right. So if we go back up, what what got us there, though, we went quickly through 133B. Um, if an eye is to see itself, it must look at an eye. And if the soul is to know itself, it must look at a soul. We ask where, no, you know, that's the place where knowing and understanding take place is the soul. It has to be, then he says, you, it has to be looked at and grasped everything divine. Mm-hmm. And that would be the best grasp of himself as well. So to know oneself is the same as being self-controlled. He makes that link. So before and after this part of the, the three that like you have, no, you have to know yourself, your belongings and your belongings, belongings, it's self-control. Yeah. And within those spheres, that self-control would still be important, right? Like if you're not self-controlled, you're still not going to be a good shoemaker. You're going to be, because if you're not self-controlled, you're not, you're, you're given to drunkenness and laziness or tardiness or whatever. And you're still going to fail at your, I could be as good as you or could I'm be. Given, or even the patient. I can make the kind of shoe be, I want. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even the patience to pay attention to detail and, and slow down and do the work well, right? Like I can't do anything crafty because takes too much i have to slow down too much and focus on, on the attention to detail i'm just not self-controlled enough to do that so i it always it always looks bad and like quality <laughs> is not there i mean i can build a table that'll that'll stand up and hold stuff but it, it's not gonna look good <laughs> right the um the the soul as an eye part of it where you just took us back to andrea is interesting mm-hmm. because the analogy of course is the analogy of course is to the physical eye the eyeball and the in the analogy with the eyeball you have you need somebody else's eyeball to see the nature mm-hmm. of the eye and the nature of mm-hmm. seeing right and so you can't even the mm-hmm. eye can't know itself without without being able to perceive another another's eye and itself in that other person's eye and then if, if is he is he intending to extend the analogy that way to the soul that that my soul needs to see itself but it can't see itself so it has to perceive itself in somebody else and then and then you need a friend and um you need a mentor a guide somebody that can reflect back to you who you really are but then can that person know you if they don't know themselves? Can you know that person if you don't know yourself? Like, how does all that, you know, I mean, I don't know. He doesn't really get into how it works, but just. No, but if we go works. back a page, go to 132. He's, there's a first. So I noticed that, right? Get in training first, learn what you need to know before entering politics. And so then he asks, how can you get the clearest knowledge of our soul? How can we get the clearest knowledge of our soul? And that's when he gets to that. Uh-oh. 
we lost Andrea for a second there. Hopefully she'll remember where she was and come back to it. Yeah. Cause you know, that, that passage about the needing another soul is very reminiscent of Brutus and Cassius and Julius Caesar's, um, or in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, right? Where Cassius tells Brutus, you can't know yourself. You need me to, oh, to right, be a right. right. Yeah. Cassius is using it with evil intent. Socrates yeah. is not, right? Socrates truly loves, truly loves, um, Okay, yeah yeah he does i mean it, well, and it, what's interesting to me is we brought up last time the oh wait let's see if we got are you back andrea is it working yes yes do you remember what you were saying okay, i don't know what i said oh well we were talking about the soul needing another soul to see itself does that oh. ring a bell at I, all i think that's accurate so i was taking to where he says that the first thing we have to do is uh, learn what you need to know before you enter politics, get in training. Right. But then he goes straight to how can we get the clearest knowledge of our soul? And if you go, go back up or even before he says, first, you have to do that. He said, someone who loved you would love your soul. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's couched within love. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's about another. There, there's yeah. always another. Uh, we're having a little trouble with, with Andrea's audio. We'll see if she gets back in here in a second. Uh, what I was, I was thinking, Matt, we, you know, we talked about last time that, uh, Socrates seemed to be able to, um, see, uh, Alcibiades better than he could see himself, right? That he, um, he, better than Alcibiades could see himself. Yeah. 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 Then Alcibiades could see himself. And, and, um, you know, that he could see his ambition and, and, you know, right or wrong, that ambition. Um, and it makes it, it makes me wonder, you know, to, is that like, to what extent can, can, can Alcibiades see back into, to Socrates, right? If this, if it's to two souls mirror, giving, you know, mirror to each other, I don't know that we see it necessarily in this, in this dialogue, but I think there are times when, when, when Socrates interlocutor responds back and seems to be, can see where Socrates is like, I know what you're trying to get me to say or trying to get me to do. Like he knows what they know, what Socrates um, purpose and ambition is as well. Um, which it seems, it seems or like, it would or his reputation, his reputation. Yeah. And it, it seems mm-hmm. like they would have, if what he's saying here is it's a two of this two way street between two souls, then some of that's got to kind of come back on, on Socrates as well. He uses we often. Yeah. Yeah. He has yeah. not left him at all like he he says at the beginning i'm only talking to you now because god's given me permission to do it now yeah and from that moment on it's largely a we yeah it is interesting that um socrates ability to perceive alcibiades as as is reflected i think in that first half of the you know the last Mm -hmm. call or last podcast last episode uh in this in this one where they kind of ending it kind of ending with him describing the city indicates that even that progression is there in Socrates, right? Like he knows himself, therefore he can know a therefore he can know the city and what it, the dangers of the city are. Mm-hmm. He's able to make those at least, at least the two observations. I think Andrew, you, you know, you call them the two fears, mm-hmm. which is probably a good way of putting it right. The, his two fears are both city related, but he knows the city. Mm-hmm. He's he's able to know the city because he's able to know the individuals in the city and he's able to know them because he knows himself. Yeah. So maybe what we don't have in the historical record is 
what soul or souls helped Socrates see these things as a younger man, right? If it was, I mean, we know he served in a couple of military campaigns. We know he did some other things before forming the school here in Athens or not the school, even really so much as what's that? Sorry. I was trying to tie into that, but I like that in this one, you said, who was it that he knew? He says he's the son of, I've not heard him reference that about himself before. And Mm -hmm. so when he leads through like someone who would love, someone who loved you would love your soul. Someone who loves your soul wouldn't leave you as long as you're making progress. I'm the one who will stay with you. And then it's like, he makes a, a pact and he uses like the full names. Alcibiades, mm-hmm. son of Clinius. You have no lovers and never have had any, it seems, except for one only. And he is your darling, Socrates, son of Sophroniscus and Phrenorate. I can't <laughs> mean Greek. Um, I, he doesn't talk about his parents very often. That is pretty rare. Right. He talks about his mother in the, uh, in the, I don't know which one is it, the Timaeus, not Timaeus, uh, I can't even remember the name of it all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, you referenced that last week. You referenced that last yeah. week when he talks about being a um, a midwife. That's the one where he talks about the midwife. Midwife, right. Yeah. 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 And then in uh, in Major Hippias or Greater Hippias, he, he mentions that he's the son of Sophronicus. And he does claim to have it earlier on uh, in... Um, one twenty-four, right, right where we picked up this week, to have a greater guardian than Alcibiades, and he claims it's just God <laughs> or one of the gods. Um, so it probably almost has to happen that way, honestly. When a city is is so corrupt that it can't even educate people properly anymore, you almost you almost have to have some sort of divine intervention, right? Right, you have to have somebody come along, and and God creates the Socrates, and then Socrates can pass that on to others. Because who who else could have brought him about? I mean, if we're if we accept the assumption that the city was that corrupt, right? Well, but it it just echoes Judeo Christian history too, right? I mean, you have God intervenes and speaks directly to people when things are so far gone, whether it's Moses, yeah, the prophet comes along, or right, yeah, yeah, so. I, re- I remembered, I don't know if this will backtrack us too far or get us off topic, but I remembered what I was trying, the point I was trying to make from Athanasius on the Incarnation, mm. which is that Lewis urges us to read the old, the old authors, the classical authors more regularly than we do. So we should read, you know, one to one or one to two if possible. Uh, but also that we don't need to be afraid of Plato. We don't need to read books about Plato. We just need to read Plato. Right. And I think that's a good warning because you read books about Plato and they all will tell you that, that he's a, he's a Gnostic. He's, mm. he hates the physical realm. And, uh, and, and then, it, and then you read this stuff in here and then it, it just, it's easy to interpret this, this in a way that it reinforces what that other author said. Mm. Um, and you don't, you, we don't really know yet whether the author, other author is correct. He might be, but we don't know yet. Right. So. Um, but also Lewis, that's not really Lewis's point. Lewis's point really is that those other authors are often more confusing than right. the original classic author himself anyway. So just read Plato. He's not, he's not as confusing as these authors would lead you to believe. <laughs> right. Which is the premise of this show, right? Just like these, these great works are approachable. They're, they're things you can read. Um, so hopefully. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that helps us is to know what kind of question they're trying to answer. 
going mm-hmm. into it. I think we talked about this, but how, you know, that's I'm, the way I've been teaching it is to ask the students what, whatever I think the main question is, you know, yeah, have them figure out their answer to that question. I just steal this directly from David Hicks and norms and nobility, but you get them to come up with their own answer to the question first and then try to figure out the author's answer. And, you know, I think we talked last, last episode about the main question of this dialogue being, what does it mean to know thyself? But now rereading it again, I'm not sure I got, I, that's the right question. What do you guys think? This is good. I like when Matt wants to fly in the face of the tradition because that's not your your usual modus operandi. So, it's a, is that the real question here? How, what does it mean to know thyself? Um, yeah, because you guys pointed out last week that the phrase doesn't even come up until more than halfway through the text. Right. I mean, the the idea does right, like when he's talking about, you know. You think you're, you think you know enough to be here. He's obviously commenting on and Alkibiades not knowing himself at that point, right? Yeah. So the idea comes up, but the question doesn't, the phrase doesn't come up till much later. And it doesn't really get used very many times either, just a few, even in the second part. Yeah. And the, go ahead, Andrea. No, go ahead. my, my thoughts Ladies first. Fu- my thoughts not fully baked. <laughs> you know, well, mine either. So I'm going to have y'all help me. One twenty four D ish. Um, it's when he says that my guardian is better and wiser. It's God. I put my faith in Him, and I say that Your glory will be entirely my doing. That's a little weird, right? If faith is in God, but it's Socrates is doing. But okay, whatever. I can keep reading. But he says, every human being needs self-cultivation, but especially the two of us. So let's work it out together. We want to be as good as possible. And then we go into the rest, right? So we're looking, how do we um, cultivate the self? My conclusion from reading it, I can't find it exactly where I've, is we have to develop the virtues mm-hmm. in ourselves. And perhaps explicitly or most prominently self-control. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's right. Cause he, that is it the, yeah, it's the last page. Virtue is appropriate for a free man. Um, up above. If you are to be, if you are to prosper, you need to get for yourself virtue. Right. So that's where he, I feel like he leads it. And the one that he's hinted at in the beginning. Oh, and it's right there. No, it's on the, uh, 134. C, E, mine just jumps from C to E. There's no D in my book. Socrates says, um, and what you need to get for yourself and for your city isn't political power, but the authority to do what you like. What you need is justice and self-control. Yeah. So to, me it's, to me, it's both. It's justice and self-control. And I don't know how they're separate or not because I'm still trying to figure out justice. <laughs> when he does it, and then, I mean, I think, I, I think it feels like when you're reading it, and he start and you start talking about how do you cultivate yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, is if is that the real question of the text? How do you how does one what does it mean right. to cultivate yourself? Mm-hmm. The uh, but when he says that, then you know they they bounce around a little bit, and then it's like, well, you need to cultivate, you need to get justice, and you need to get self control. Mm-hmm. You need to be just, and you need to be self controlled. Mm-hmm. But then he doesn't tell us how to cultivate that. Mm-hmm. How do I cultivate justice? How do I cultivate self control? <laughs> That's the hard part. He says well, that I mean, it's up to God. Wait, what? Where does he say that? 
135D is the last page near the bottom. The last uh, short little sentence above Alcibiades has a big paragraph right above that. That it's up to God. Well, now that's interesting, Andrea, because it goes back to that other sentence that you that you said was weird to you, right? Where he mm-hmm. said he said it depends a whole, you know, completely on me mm-hmm. to do this for you, right? I trust mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. I have faith right. in God, and so I, I it's re, it's up to me. And then Alcibiades repeats that back to him, and he's like, "That's not well said, right?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe he was hoping hoping Alcibiades would call him on that, and he right. didn't. So catch the he, hook, uh, catch the uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. away. Mm-hmm. Nice. I mean, yeah. alternatively, he could have meant in the first go go around. He could have meant that it's it's up to me of of the human beings right. here. I'm the only one that's in tune with God and you. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one that has to come through. Um, but maybe not. Maybe he just meant what he meant here. Like, call me on it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll point it out later mm-hmm. when it comes up again. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing, you're not seeing the whole picture here. We'll, we'll come back to it in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, it, it seems like his answer to, what is it to know thyself is to know your soul, which is not that helpful of an answer. I mean, it is, but it's the same question, right? Within what does it mean to know your soul? And so, but yeah, it, it's, and then the how, I guess, but they get into the how of that is two souls looking into each other, but then they don't know it themselves to, to bring up your question earlier, Matt, like, so is it possible or not? But yeah, I think, I think it, I mean, sexism aside, the question is almost, uh, what does it mean to be a man? Like what, you know, what is it or, you know, to have that virtue, to be virtuous, what does it mean to, to be free, free and fully human? Yeah. So I don't, maybe that's the question, right? And that's, that, that's good to back to that cultivating justice and um, self-control. Yeah, interesting. I I was wondering if it was if it was what is the soul, mm. um, but I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like it's you know, like in the in the Mino when Mino asks him, "Can virtue be taught?" and Socrates says, "Well, how can we know unless we know what virtue is?" So there's like this primary question that has to be answered before primary in time i guess or importance whatever that has to be answered before this other question mm-hmm. even though the other question might be the main question of the dialogue as as mino would have it mm-hmm. um i wonder if that's the case here where the main question of the dialogue is either what does it mean to know thyself or how does one cultivate himself but the but you can't really answer that question unless you know what the self is you know what the soul is, so, you, so it becomes the kind of the primary question, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily the main question of the dialogue. It's just a necessary question to get to the main question of the dialogue. I didn't mean the necessary question in the mm-hmm. the sense that we typically use it in lost tools. I just meant mm-hmm. a prerequisite question. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate what you shared, Brandon. That, but he doesn't tell us how to cultivate justice and self control. <laughs> And it does Alcibiades too do that? I haven't read it. No, no. <laughs> no, the main question of Alcibiades too is what is prayer? So that's not a bad question. It's not a bad question. <laughs> um, interesting. Really? So we're going to go know. from this to prayer. So what's that going to do for the soul? So then is it more, I, I, are, the, are those two dialogues to be in, connected 
Um, they're the same people, I'm, I'm assuming, Socrates and Akkabiades. Yeah. And if we're going to go from this is one and that is two, if we're first going to figure out what is the soul, and then it's in some way, is it answered by prayer? Figuring out what prayer is. Right? Because if he says it's all up to God, and I've come to you when God has told me, and there's something that we are going to do together, right? That Socrates can't do without him and Alcibiades can't do without Socrates, right? There's a, but there's also prayer. Yeah. Well, I mean, look now, Andrea, Mm -hmm. this is not a podcast on Plato. So we can't just keep doing Plato. I mean, I would love to go to look. <laughs> Second Alcibiades is like 10 pages long, 11 pages long. We could just do the whole thing in one episode. Um, and we just delay the, delay the next text one more week. So instead of, you know, instead of the next episode being the Q and A, then we just do an Alcibiades two or second Alcibiades, whatever, and then do the Q and A. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that, but I, you know, you guys will quickly, you guys will make me willing to turn this into a Plato podcast real quick. So you got to be careful. Don't, don't pull any strings over on this guy. Yeah. Uh, Brandon's in charge. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's, it's on me to, to choose whether we go one more week on Akibiades or not, huh? Uh, I haven't read two, so I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know that one. I mean, we do get into the other questions though, right? Justice and other ones get brought up in other dialogue, just not with Akibiades necessarily. Yeah, um, probably the best example of where to, I mean, the best text I think of where, where he talks about how to cultivate justice mm-hmm. is the Republic, but yeah. it's super long and it's super, you know, complex conversation. So that's probably the, the most expressed version of it. But, that's why I don't understand it yet. Yeah. <laughs> but it, that that question of justice is interesting though because it takes us back to the first half where what he finally what he got uh when Alkibiades was telling me I want to go make speeches in this you know uh, mm-hmm. he's like about what like what are you going to talk to them about and he got him to say basically what come down to like what is the just thing to do right you know in any situation what what is justice in this situation um in particular with with foreign entities right what's the should we go to war, not go to war, those kind of things. And so he comes back around to that in the second half with, with what we've mentioned here, that you have to have a self-control and an understanding of justice that can only come through soul searching for lack of a better term. Uh, I think the question I'm left with is, you know, what is he showing us? And I think it's in the text, but not necessarily explicit. Like what is he showing us is the way to do that soul searching. If it takes two souls, what does that, what does that look like? And two souls that aren't there yet, maybe some, in some cases. I mean, it seems like Socrates is more there in this case, but to Andrew's earlier point, we don't always all have an elder mentor. So what does that look like? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if Socrates... I, I think there's a couple of places where Socrates tells us who his mentor was. One of those is in the symposium, where he talks about how this woman, Diotima... Wait, is that the name, her name? Nah, I can't remember now. Anyways, I think it was her name was Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, that she taught him, she taught him this. And then there's another dialogue. Which one was that again, Matt? That's in the symposium. It's his speech in the symposium. The symposium is, is seven speeches on love. Okay. One of them by Socrates, one of them by 
Aristophanes and then five other guys. And Socrates gives his speech, and his speech is a speech, is a conversation with him and Diotima, where she teaches him what love and beauty are. And then he gives a dialogue as a speech. That's great. Gotta love Socrates. Yeah, because they tell him he's not allowed to he's not allowed to turn it into a dialogue. He has to give a speech. He's not allowed to ask them questions. And so then he's like, all right, fine. I'll tell you this other dialogue I had. The story, like classic. Good. The other one, the other one is called Menexenus. And it's a, it's a funeral oration. Um, and then that's about, uh, uh, that's a, a funeral oration that was written by a woman that, influenced him the funeral oration influenced him so there's two possibilities for mentorship there and then there's a really good book by this guy armand dangour that uh it's called socrates in love and it's a biography of socrates in which Ar- dangour in he pieces together the historical record from everybody diogenes xenophon plato I mean, all of the dialogues, all the texts that are about, I think even, even Aristophanes, um, he pulls pieces, all this stuff together and kind of recreates Socrates life, like his, his adolescence and his adulthood, early adult, young adulthood, where he learns like what turns Socrates into the guy, the philosopher that he becomes. Um, and then he identifies Diotima in that book. He makes mm-hmm. an argument for who he thinks Diotima is a, a fake name and he, he makes an argument for who he thinks that really was. And then, and then, then can tell us who she was and how she was able to, why she was able to do that for him. It's very interesting. Um, it's a really good book, easy read. Uh, it's, it's, it's worth reading. And that guy is now currently working on a book on who was Homer. So I'm very interested. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could pause you, you were answering the question of Socrates' mentor. Mm-hmm. And you answered with three example, well, I don't know, two examples that talk about love. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I just find that fascinating because what is he talking here about? The one who loves you is going to love your soul. Mm-hmm. Right. And so many of his images are maternal, right? There's the what, what Matt already brought up, the the midwife. Um, mm-hmm. But even in this with the stork, right? It's the covering right. of the wings. Are very kind of well, and that he, and that he names his parents, which is pretty rare. Oh right, yeah. But yeah. he names his parents, and who, of course, are the two people that first love you enough to to want sacrifice to sacrifice for you, sacrifice for you, and help you to know yourself, mm. and who probably know you, right, right. At least right. for those first and those first if, two decades, uh, seeing your best and your worst, right? And they seen right, regardless of Brandon's decision. I will be reading Alcibiades too. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one, nice and short. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I want. I will say this. I, you know, we we we've talked about like our approach, you know, and trying to focus on what the text itself is saying. Mm-hmm. But there are there are other outside sources, and there are questions that come up, right? Like, like when Socrates ends the book, the dialogue saying. Uh, uh, that he doesn't trust the city and what the city, the impact the city could have on them. I know how powerful the city is. I'm afraid it might get the better of both me and you. And and we know if we know what happens to Socrates, then we know that that turns out to be the case. Mm -hmm. So then 
I think it almost necessarily provokes the second question, which is, well, what happens to Alcibiades? Yeah. And Alcibiades is a, is a, is an important and famous, you know, well-known historical figure. So people who love history and who love, especially the history of that, the classical world probably know what happened to Alcibiades, but not everybody does. It's not as common as like George Washington, right? So mm. the, um, the, like we we're probably going to avoid get digging into that question and trying to understand and figure out who these people were in real life and and then use that information to influence our interpretation of the text because well i mean as historical data it's coming to us influenced by the historians who wrote it right and so it it could mislead us in the interpretation of the text as much as it could help us. So let's see what the text says first and then go back and see how that helps or doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. But there is a book I have not read it. So I don't actually know if it's any good. Mm-hmm. There is a book called the people of Plato, a prosopography of Plato and other Socratics. And this book, as I understand it, it's a, it's a scholarly book, but as I understand it, it's a, it's basically a little encyclopedia for all who all these characters are. And so you can look, you can get that book and look up who Alcibiades was and who Hippias was and who Gorgias was and who Mino was. And it will tell you all about their story and tells you what, it'll tell you what really happened to them in history. You'll know what happened to Alcibiades, whether the city got a hold of him or not. And it's, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, I just would be careful with it, not, not to let it interpret the text, mm-hmm. but it's helpful, but it's an academic book. So it's 75 bucks. <sighs> so it's on my Christmas wish list, not on my, Shelf. I'm not yeah. buying it for myself. Somebody <laughs> right, else is buying right. it for me. <laughs> I don't want to know Somebody that bad. Somebody loves who you will spend that money on you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Um, since most folks, probably have Alcibiades too, since they've probably read this in a collection because there's that many Alcibiades ones out there as single publications. Um, let's do that next week. Let's do Alcibiades uh, two, and then we'll do the Q and a the week after that. Um, and then that'll give everybody a chance to get the next thing we're going to read, um, which is mm-hmm. we are going to go through the, um, the Oedipus cycle of plays. So we'll just do kind of one play a week. Um, that's begins with Oedipus Rex and then Oedipus at Colonus and then Antigone. Um, sometimes you can find those in a collection together, you know, or separately, but that's what we'll do. So that'll take us, um, kind of, uh, we'll probably get to that first play just before, like the week before Christmas or so. And that'll take us into the, into the new year a little bit, um, for, for those plays. Uh, and then somewhere along the line in there, we'll, we'll try and announce, we'll try and put out a schedule that has, you know, several, several of the upcoming, uh, texts on it. Uh, so people can start getting those planned out. Does sound good. Awesome, Brandon. You're a good guy. All right. I figured <laughs> that I just us- realized we're going to be reading a father son story leading up to Advent or, you know, up to Christmas through Advent. Yeah. A less happy father son story. than <laughs> it's a, it's a father son story. Mm-hmm. All right. So next week we'll talk about a two and, uh, Hopefully everybody will join us. Any other any other closing thoughts on Alcibiades one before we before we sign off for the week? I just want to say thank you to both of you. Um, it's a pleasure. I wouldn't have set aside the time to read this if it wasn't for us saying we're all setting aside the time uh, to yes. one another to read this. So, yes, fun. thank you. And hopefully that extends to our listeners. Yes. 
Well, for Andrew Lipinski and Matt Bianco, I'm Brandon LeBlanc. Thank you for joining us on Overdue Classics, and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.